Well, good morning, New Life Church. Okay, we're off to a good start. This is good. My name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here. Open your Bibles to Matthew 6. Put them at the ready. We're going to be looking at this prayer we just read. My first memory of being on a stage at a church was when I was seven years old, six or seven, and I had been tasked with memorizing the Lord's Prayer, and once I did, I was compelled to stand on the stage of the church during the service and recite it to the congregation. Our Father who art in heaven gives you an idea of, it wasn't ESV. Um, and as commemoration of my feet, I received a train tie clip. That tells you something else about the church. Seven-year-olds are wearing ties often. Um, I don't remember if I actually completed the entire prayer without stumbling, and I don't now know where the tie clip is, but this is the prayer that I was reciting with my first memory of being on a stage at a church. Um, it is called the Lord's Prayer. It is all alternatively called the disciples prayer because the Lord taught it to his disciples. You may know it as the Our Father, depending on what tradition you are familiar with. And of course, it is important enough that we want a seven-year-old to memorize to the point of overcoming or perhaps ignoring stage fright and reciting it to a congregation. This is a wonderful prayer, right? It's beautiful. We have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been laying out how life looks for kingdom people, for the kingdom community, how holiness, maturity is ramped up. The standards are different. The way of acting in the world is different. The broken ways of the Jews and Gentiles are not sufficient for the righteousness that is required in the kingdom. The norm of behavior in the realm of the king who is God, it is different, and he's calling and telling us about a different kingdom. Last week, we talked about two different ways of praying that are not recommended. The hypocritical Jewish way and the empty phrases of the Gentiles. And these default ways of making useless prayer are common to us. We got a really good kick out of talking about this at Life Group, acting in grandiose ways, emulating these faults. It kind of derailed some of Life Group, so I'm, I'm sorry to my Life Group leader, but... It was, it was quite funny, especially uh, our propensity to act religiously so that everyone could see, see, and we would say, now I am going to pray, thanking God for our lunch, and I want you all to know that this is the pious thing to do. That is, that's kind of the, the faulty way of, of putting it together. But the faulty ways are in the rearview mirror. Jesus is going to take time in this sermon to teach us how to pray. Jesus, the kingdom bringer, will teach us how to pray. And this prayer houses all the assumptions of the coming kingdom. The prayer of the kingdom community anticipates the reconnection of heaven and earth. The prayer of the kingdom community anticipates the reconnection of heaven and earth. And we are going to learn to pray as though the kingdom is coming. Before we jump into the text, I want to point out that there are ways to use this prayer that are just like the hypocrites and the empty phrases. One could stand and in order to get the praise of men, pray this verbatim and with great piety and postured sincerity, and Jesus would say, you have your reward. Good good job. 
You could also memorize this and recite it mindlessly, thinking that this is a secret formula to crack open the door to the favor of God. Jesus' intent with this prayer is neither of those things. He is giving us an outline. He's giving us a structure, the bones, as it were, of an appropriate way to pray. We can use these bones, and they are wonderful conversation with God. And if you have nothing more than these words, this is a great way to talk to God. And as you grow and mature and understand more the character of God, the things he lays out in this scripture and his work, then you can flesh out the bones and expand your conversation because you know the direction that makes most sense with this structure. So let's look at the bones. Let's look at the structure of the prayer. Jesus says again in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray then like this, our, let's stop there. Our, first person plural. This is a prayer that assumes from the outset, from the beginning, that I belong to a community. I belong with others. That's why we're gathered, right? The work of Jesus in his invading earth with heaven, bringing heaven and earth back together, proclaiming the coming kingdom is not something that is strictly personal for you or for me or for any of us. This is not a me and Jesus only type relationship. Jesus is breaking into earth and creating a community, a kingdom community, a group that together anticipates the coming kingdom, that together proclaims Jesus, the king of that kingdom, that together proclaims we belong to the kingdom, we are not alone ambassadors. Jesus the Christ has made a community. He has made a people. So he says, when you pray, start with our. And he says, our Father. Now this may be wrote to you, Father, Father God. Of course we address God the Father. That's that's what you're supposed to say. No. (laughs) With the advent of Jesus and his teaching us to pray, this is something new. Jesus is giving us a new way to interact with God. This is striking. There are, if you go to the Old Testament, which is everything to the left of Matthew, if you go there, there are about 12 references in the Old Testament where God is referred to as Father, and none of them are addresses. There are things like the Father of Israel as a descriptor. In the Gospels, there's more than 40. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father This is a new way for God's people to address him. Father. This seems familiar to us, but it should be a bit of scary new ground. Wait. The creator God of the cosmos? The God who made all, who made a people for himself, who rescued that people, throwing plagues and judgment on an enslaving state in Egypt? The God who made covenants, who blesses and curses, who sent sinners into exile. The God who sent the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to do the work of bringing heaven to earth. We address him as father? As dad? My boys call me papa? Let's just sit with that for a moment. That's a completely different relationship. The world has shifted, right? Little old me, 
little old you, little old sinner, rebel me, now rescued, can pray to the Holy of Holies and say, Father, Dad, Papa. Friends, if you get nothing else from this morning, you need to know that truth. This is the relationship that God has secured for you. That is the relationship that God has made possible for you, not that you have secured for yourself. He has put himself into that type of relationship with you. Wow. How do we pray? Pray like this. We start with our Father. Incredible, right? Incredible. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Where is the Father? In heaven. Come on. Good morning. Good morning. Where was Jesus on earth? Those are, I just want to get us level set. Jesus, uh, just getting our bearings straight. Heaven is not the ethereal place just beyond our optical range in the clouds. Heaven is the place where God is. It is heaven because that's where God is. It is the dwelling place of God. That is why we address our Father in heaven. We will, we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I just want to get us set. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First things first, here is the first request. We pray, I want your name to be hallowed, holy, revered, lovely. I want your name to be known. And when people hear the name, I want them to smile. God, my request, my imperative in this prayer is that you make your name look good. And God, your name holds more than a specific combination of letters. It's not just a moniker. It's a marker of your person, a reference of your character, a placeholder of your reputation. And we, as the community of the kingdom, we pray, make your name hallowed. Make it holy. In reality, in actuality, is the name of our Father holy? Yes. We can all, we can all do it. Yes. Is His character and reputation and trustworthiness holy? Yes. Perhaps an amen even. I don't know. The character of our God, of our Father, is unblemished, unmarred, is beyond doubt. But in practice, in the knowledge of the world, His name is not known. His name does not produce a reverential smile on the face of a stranger. People do not know the name of Yahweh, the creating, covenant-making, redeeming, and restoring God. There is still work to be done for the reputation of the Trinity described in this book to be known across the globe. There is still work to be done for His name to be made holy, to be made known. And friends, this starts our prayer The kingdom community starts with hallowed be your name because when this prayer is answered, the kingdom will have arrived. Amen? Amen. When this prayer is redundant, we will be sitting with Jesus. When this prayer is no longer a striking contrast to the experienced reality in the world around us, it's going to be wonderful. And friends, fellow kingdom people, As you grow and mature, as your character is molded into the character of Christ by the work of the Spirit, this becomes your desire first. This headlines your prayers. This becomes the heartbeat of your communication. 
You say, let's pray. And, oh, Father, make your name known and holy. Make your reputation well heard. Make yourself known. This is what we want. Because we have a good Father. Amen. Amen Amen means I agree. It means means surely with an exclamation point, just, just so you know. We're talking about prayer. Before we jump in even more, I want to point out the firmness of this approach. This prayer, Jesus is is using a new posture, first in referring to God as Father, and then he prays imperatives, which is just a fancy word for command. It's the type of word used for a command. Hallowed is the verb, and it means make your name holy. Do this thing. There is a firm but reverential approach throughout this prayer. There is a boldness to use imperatives, commands. Now, I don't know about you, but my default is not to use imperatives with God. Anybody else? I, I am wont to using caveats and hedging language, and I shuffle around a bit. Lord, if you would do this, Father, this would be really great if maybe you kind of, sort of, perhaps, possibly, we would really like to see you do this. If this is your will, maybe, perhaps, the posture in this prayer is strikingly firm compared to our timidity. Hallowed be your name. If you would prefer to make your name holy, that would be really good in this situation. Just think about it a little bit. No, hallowed be your name. And from here on, we keep receiving imperatives in this prayer. I think this comes from two places. One, we are talking to our Father. And he is a good father. He's not a vindictive father. He is not prone to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. And we get to pray to that father. And because it's our father, I can talk differently. I can communicate differently. And that is, that's what prayer is, right? Communication with God, talking to God, to a father who listens. I no longer need to do a shuffle and give him Or maybe myself, all the outs necessary so I won't feel let down. And second, if you pray for the desired end of God, you can pray boldly. Does God want his name holy? Yes. Surely. So do I need to hedge my prayers when I pray, make your name holy? No. I want what God wants. Do what you want, God. Make your name holy. And this happens with the prophets all the time. We mistakenly think that the prophets, their their only role was, was predominantly predicting future events that we had no idea was going to occur, pulling something unknown out of the hat. That definitely happens. Something surprising, something hopeful, something good, the coming of Jesus perhaps. But most of the prophet's ministry is proclaiming what God has already said and saying, you said you would do this or you promised you would do this. The prayers of people like Daniel for rescue and forgiveness are steeped in the language of Deuteronomy. Do what you said you would do. Rescue us from exile after the allotted time you set up. These prayers are bold because they are repeating back the desires and promises of God. If I know this book, 
I can pray more and more boldly and the desires of my heart will more and more align with the desires of God and my boldness will increase. All of these things throughout this prayer are things God wants to do, has promised to do, plans to do. These are things that are happening because He is a good God, desiring to give goodness and also because the kingdom is breaking into earth. All of these prayers will be answered, either here and now because the kingdom has interjected into earth, it has started, or it will be answered in the future when the kingdom is fully established. With the will of God in mind, we can pray with a commanding tone that God will do what we know He wants to do. We know that he will do it when his kingdom comes, whether in part now or in total in future. Shall we continue to pray boldly? Let's continue. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. More commands. Come, be done. And something a kingdom community can pray because Jesus inaugurated it. He came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The story is already started and nothing can stop it. Now we, the kingdom community, can pray boldly and with urgency, bring it. Bring the kingdom to earth. Bring the reign of God. Father, rule completely, irrevocably, ultimately, and comprehensively. We desire to see no corner of creation not under the submission of your kingdom. Bring the kingdom. Bring the reign of God. It is broken here. It is sin-tainted and torn. Evil is entrenched. But there is a good king. The return of the king will be accomplished. Bring the kingdom. Your will be done. Where the will of God is perfectly done, the king sits on the throne, right? Who wants that? I want that. The kingdom community prays anticipating that and desiring that. Heaven, we already established, heaven is the place where God dwells. In heaven, his will is executed as he desires it. There's no hesitation, there's no shade, there's no variance. On earth, the place where man dwells, there is blemish here. There is variance and distortion, there is malady and disobedience. Before, long ago, the place where God is and the place where man is, earth, they were together. We had God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Do you remember that bit of the story? Those two places were together, and the fall of humanity precipitated the disconnection of these places. There is rebellion here on earth. God's will is not executed perfectly by humanity. You think? It's the understatement of the week. Jesus is the initial foray from heaven to earth that begins to bring them back together. Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus shows up and says, I am bringing these realms back together again. Jesus, the God-man, shows up and says, I will die in order to repair the rift 
I will rise again in order to bring them back together. So this prayer is effective, worthwhile, a certain eventuality. And Jesus, the God-man, says, pray this way. Your kingdom come. Fully infiltrate the broken, squalid earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, make it again like it was when there was no variance between the place where you are and the place where we are. Where your will is executed well and rightly, proficiently and beautifully. That is what God wants. That is what we want. Amen? This prayer touches every bit of life. When you pray, Father, heal the cancer. Nay, eradicate the cancer, the sickness, the disease, the mental malady. Your will be done. Reverse the curse in our bodies. I know that your desire is to restore. I know your will and plan is for new creation. Restored bodies no longer weighed down by curse and sin and degradation and deformity, no longer encumbered by maladies of the body or mind. You will one day make all things new. You will make bodies new. Do it today. Your will be done. Your will be done. Reconcile relationships. Reconcile people to each other. Bring love of neighbor. Your will be done. The desire for God's will is not just in the personal, but even in the organizational. Father, your will be done in associations and institutions. Everywhere broken people go, they gather, they make good, but inevitably broken things. And God's will is not yet done in all the way we do things. Bring restoration, bring remedy, make all things new, do it today. Your will be done. And these are not magic, freaky words. These are praying the desires of our Father in heaven. I don't know when the answer will be, now or in the coming kingdom, but I know what it will ultimately be. Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. That's why we can pray boldly. He continues and says, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We started this prayer in a more broad sense for the glorification of the Father, for His name to be holy, for the coming of the kingdom. Now the kingdom community prays in a more immediate sense. This is a personal prayer. When we pray, give us, there's that imperative again, This day, our daily bread, we are praying for the needs of the present, the needs of the now. There is an immediacy to the prayer. This is not a prayer for a five-year time horizon. This is not a 10-year plan. This is requesting that my belly have what it needs today. And we can talk about the laborers from Jesus' day. They received their money The day they worked, you work and you get your money and then they go and they buy their bread, definitely living hand to mouth. And then you do it all over again the next day. You have just what is needed. This prayer clearly, clearly fits into that rhythm. But I don't want to limit this prayer to those, only those who have most keenly the ability to observe their need. 
This is not an optional piece for us. Oh, give us this day. No, not, not necessary. This is a prayer of kingdom people that God the Father provide what is necessary for life. That God give bread. That God give provision, financial or otherwise. And friends, this is a marked contrast in the flow of this prayer. We have been praying for the holiness of the name of God the Father. We have been praying that the kingdom comes. We have been praying that the will of creator, redeemer, and ruler of the cosmos be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now, please give us bread. There's, there's no please in the Greek. I just feel really weird about not saying please. This is a striking request. The transcendence of God does not drown out the imminence of God. The God that will restore all to the new creation is also the God that wants to hear your request for bread. Hear your request for provision. Hear your request for the daily needs of life. Jesus is telling us how the kingdom community prays. It includes this personal request of the needs of today. There is encouragement here for me that opens up my willingness to talk to the Father. This request for bread, simply flour, water, yeast, a little bit of heat, is not too small a request for Him. Isn't that astounding? I think it also speaks to the relationship a member of the kingdom has. Our Father, our Father who is in heaven, we have privileged access So privileged, in fact, we can talk about the smaller things. These things are not something he would prefer to delegate. He is the provider. He is the giver of bread. He is the one who answers prayers for jobs and provision. He is the one that answers prayers about a place to live and a shelter over my head. It's a little weird to talk about this simple level of provision because the assumption here in our city, in our state, in our country is that, no, 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 I I have worked hard and I have earned all this stuff. We are so blessed that we have created distance from ourselves and the giver. And it makes it hard for us to realize that we have been blessed. We have been given things to steward We have been given means such that we have tomorrow's bread. And I don't know about you, but I have the next day's bread as well. I have next week's bread. Even for you, friends, this line is not a throwaway. It is God's grace that has filled your pantry. God's mercy that will provide you what you need. It is His ear that is bent toward you, ready to hear your request. That is why we pray in the present, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. We also speak of the past. Forgive us what we owe. Your translation of this ancient language of the New Testament may say trespasses or transgressions. The trespasses, the sins we have committed are debts because it is obedience that has not been given that is owed God. You are praying to the Father You've talked about the present needs and you're you're praying and you have such a connection with the Father. Let's get it all on the table. I have debts. 
Why do I know this? Because I have short-term memory. I also have long-term memory. I remember yesterday, and I have not reached the wholeness of perfection we have talked about in previous sermons. I regularly fail to pay what is owed my Father God. You and I both regularly fail to say or do the thing we ought. We regularly fall into words, thoughts, or actions that are not what we ought to do. All of our life is a beautiful obligation to love our God, to love our Father with all our hearts and souls and minds and strengths. We are His creation, His creatures designed for that purpose. And when we do something else, when we worshipfully love something else, we give our obligation to another. Our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths, based on that list, who knows they have debts? I have debts. But we have access to the Father, and His ear is bent to hear us. Jesus says, pray this way, forgive us the command again. Forgive us our debts. And friends, it is glorious to know that his ear is not just bent to listen, but his character is poised to forgive. This is a bold, imperative appeal to the character of God, the one who has described himself as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. This prayer is informed by a knowledge of who our Father in heaven is. Jesus knows who he is, and that's why he says, pray this way. Boldly pray this way. And even if you didn't know, didn't know before this very moment that this was the character of God, you can today, right now, pray, forgive me my debts. And he is bent to hear you, poised to forgive you. This is a beautiful, simple prayer of repentance that can start the birth of a Christian and continues with us for the entirety of our lives. As one reformer said, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The kingdom community prays and the kingdom community forgives. And this is not positioned as an enticing bribe to convince the Father to forgive because I I have forgiven over here. You want to forgive me? But instead to show the posture of the kingdom community because they belong to a forgiving Father. A heart that has experienced much forgiveness is learned in forgiveness. I don't know a people who better displays forgiveness like the kingdom community. I hear and I read stories of Christians forgiving people who owe them monstrous debts, who have been done great wrong, who have experienced horrendous evil, and I see that they are a forgiving people. And thus I see that they are a forgiven people. And it's interesting, the kingdom community forgives fellow debtors. It's interesting that the kingdom community forgives those debtors, those people, the relationship can have a touch of reconciliation, but the debts or the losses or the trespasses may still be there. God is the one who can forgive ultimately the trespasses, the ultimate debts. 
anticipating the reconnecting of heaven and earth and the coming of the forgiving king allows us to pray this way. We pray in regard to the present, the past, and now the future. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And lead us not. This is the first time the imperative gets softened a bit. The only time in the passage. The word is actually a subjunctive. You can take that fancy word and put it in the junk drawer. You don't need it. Um, but it, it adds a probability, a, a may it be this way. Perhaps it could be this way. There's not certainty like there was before. There's a probable quality. May it not be that you lead us into temptation. No longer are we certain that we will not experience temptation. This is first a prayer of protection. Some will debate about what does lead mean. Scripture elsewhere says that God does not tempt, and that's definitely true. So perhaps, if you're concerned, maybe we should, maybe we should moderate the English and, and let us not be led into temptation. We can put some pass- passivity there. Let's pray it in a, in a little more vague fashion because we get a little bit uncomfortable. When you are uncomfortable with a Bible verse, it is likely a you problem, not a Bible problem. We may, not, we may need to understand them more fully. We may need to dig in and really understand what's going on, but we don't change them so we are more comfortable with them. If you have been paying attention in the book of Matthew, you recall that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, to be sure, but he was led there by the Holy Spirit. And what an epic story. If you've not read that, go back, just turn a couple pages, read that later at home. Go back and read that, listen, listen to the sermon, we have that on the, on the website. Wonderful, fantastic story. But that shows that this prayer is not a throwaway line. And it is the only verb here that is softened from the, the imperative, from the command. The command goes to more of a, I wish it not be so. Because I know this does happen. I would rather not go to the wilderness. Amen? I would rather not take the hammering. Can God sustain me in that? Yes. Can he sanctify and mold my character in suffering? Indeed. Will he allow for a lifeline and escape certain as the promises of Scripture? But this is a fitting and proper prayer. Don't lead me there. Protect me. I am aware that the roads of this life come in close proximity to temptation all the time. So with an eye to the future, I pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And we're back to the imperative. We're back to the command. First, for preemptive protection, please, we don't want to go that way. And now for future deliverance. Some of your Bibles may say the evil one, or perhaps there's a little asterisk there. This is definite, that is definitely an appropriate prayer. Pray for delivery from the evil one, namely the one named the devil. I would not but I would not limit our prayers of deliverance to only the single person. The Greek here is a bit more general. It has more generality to it that would obviously include the evil one, but encompasses so much more than that. And God will ultimately deal with the evil one, but so much more than that. Many are the occurrences of temptation. 
And great are the outlets of evil. Deliver us from evil. The world is still twisted. The good earth is perverted and defiled. The motives and actions of men are often for harm and hindrance. The spirit of the age and the principalities and the powers are not good. Evil is a real and lamentable truth. And with full anticipation of the coming kingdom where the king will make priority one eradicating evil and throwing it in the lake of fire, we can pray now with boldness, deliver us from evil. God's will is not that evil wins. Not that evil takes prey and never lets it go. God is most notably a delivering God. The story of Scripture shows Yahweh as the rescuing God from the beginning. When a nascent people were held under the sway of an evil Pharaoh, Yahweh is a rescuing God, a delivering God. He has been, He is, and He will be. Thus we can pray boldly and with full knowledge of reception, deliver us from evil. When temptation is met, when evil is encountered, when the twisted nature of the world rears its head, deliver us, rescue us. Keep us away, but rescue us if we are there. With that view in mind, we pray for deliverance. For every future day until the day of final deliverance comes and no future deliverance is necessary. Amen? Deliver us from evil. Friends, Jesus gave us a wonderful prayer. This is the prayer for the kingdom community. This is not the prayer of the hypocrites praying with highfalutin phrases and gesticulations just to be noticed, just to look religiously proper. These are not the empty phrases of Gentiles who think they have to find the perfect phrases in order to unlock the favor of a deity. This is the prayer of the kingdom community. A community that knows that the Father sent the Son to work, to start the work of bringing heaven and earth together, to inaugurate the kingdom. A community that knows the Father is holy and glorious and they want nothing more than for that to be realized in all the earth. The kingdom community, this community, knows that the kingdom will come that heaven will come to earth, that the place where God dwells will one day with certainty be the place where man is. The very presence of Jesus, God dwelling with man, is the deposit of this reality. This community boldly prays for provision, knowing their Father cares and provides. This kingdom community prays for forgiveness with clear-eyed observation of sin, but also sweet certitude of the graciousness of God. This community is a changed community and their relationship with fellow debtors proves it out. This community prays with anticipation of future difficulty, temptation, suffering, pain, and says, keep it away. But if we must encounter it, deliver us, Father. This is the prayer of a community who knows their Father is good and their relationship with Him is secure. Jesus came and says, the kingdom has come, and citizens, fellow citizens, this is how you pray when you belong to the kingdom. So let's stand together. Let's pray this together. 
in a victorious posture that says the kingdom is coming, so we will pray this way. It'll come up on the screen and we'll pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, Dad, Papa, that is our prayer. Thank you for sending Jesus to make this prayer even possible and teaching us to pray it. Thank you that the boldness in this prayer will not be shown foolhardy. Thank you that you will answer the prayers now in part, but one day in fullness. Thank you that heaven will come to earth, that your kingdom will come and that we belong to it. Pull the hearts, even this moment, of any who do not yet belong to the kingdom and give them a longing and connect them to yourself so they can call you Father. And all of us who are your children, fellow siblings with brother Jesus, encourage us in the confidence of your coming even as we sing. Amen.